Do you? Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, that's well, good. I think we should kick off. Let's start an episode of Parker X. Um, this week, we want to try something a little different. We're calling it a little trial of, we're calling it hot sauce. So we're going to try some hot sauce at our Parker X this week. And I'm joined with by Brett Wood and Lester Mascon. And uh, the purpose of the of the session or the aim of the session is to just go through some of the things we may have missed out on while we haven't been able to attend industry-wide in-person events and pick up on some of the buzzwords and go through some of the, the news that's come out this week, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and I'll share it with my expert co-hosts. Welcome, Lester. <laughs> How are you this week? Oh, we're good, man. We're good. The weather's still nice here in sunny Southern California. We're still t-shirt and shorts. Beautiful. I bet you're still good over there too, uh, Brentwood. We are not doing bad. Uh, it's uh, 80 degrees today and still kind of beach weather. Um, so no problems here. <laughs> not bad for October. That's right. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful. And we're, we're at a point in time where I'm circling back and, and I know that you both have been even this week on some forums and video conferences. And I want to just touch in on, on what you think the virtues and values of, of those forums are to you, both as, as an educational tool and, and promotional tool, I guess, as well. Um, Brett, have you found that experience with the, with the video conferences beneficial? Yeah, it all depends. Um, I, I've done a few you know, actual conferences that way this year. Um, and I think we, we, we kind of stumbled a little bit first back in you know, the May-June timeframe and, and tried to make it a little bit fancier than it needed to be. And um, it might, might have limited some of the things that were um, what I find to be the most compelling about them, which is you know, actually seeing people because I can't get on a plane and go see all the people that I would normally go see in a year. I, I can't go to, you know, regional conferences or, you know, the big IPMI conferences mm. um, and see people. But if we've got a setup like this with video based and we're at least getting to interact a little bit, even though it's still virtual, I think that that helps a lot more than, than some of those that were um, kind of uh, stoic and just had the presenter on the screen and, and nobody could really interact except through like chat messaging and things like that. So they're, they're getting better. Every time I do one, I, I say, God, I hope this is the last one of these that I have to do. And you know, the next time I'm going to be in person. And I, I got a little excited because like Florida parking teased that they were going to do an in-person conference, you know, whether that's safe or not. I was like, I, I'm going, I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to, um, you know, wherever the heck it was going to be and, and, and go there. But um, it's getting better. Right. So I, I think I think the, the, the industry groups that put these on are realizing how to get the content in a way that's interactive and, and, and gets people talking to one another. Um, but they're not as big. Right. Like think about going to the conferences you went to yeah. in 2019. They were several hundred people. I mean, you're walking down the hall from your room to the elevator and there's a 90% chance you're going to see somebody in the industry that you can spend a few minutes with and just chat. Or, or five and, people. Yeah, and, and you just lose <laughs> that, right? So um, so I'm hoping that we don't have to keep doing it too much longer, but but it is a, it's better than not, I will say that. I'm starting to get comfortable with uh, speaking into the void when you're on these Zoom calls. Yeah. That's that's the thing. It's the feedback loop and the interactivity that, that gets lost in this, I think. I think I find myself stopping a lot and just kind of asking for questions. And it's nice when you get one or two people that are actually 
interacting with you and then it's like okay this feels a little bit more normal and if they give you their video screen because some people just sign in and all you got is a bunch of names across the screen and it's like all right i'm just gonna speak for 35 minutes and hopefully everyone's still listening at the end it's interesting it's challenging i've um I've held uh, sales presentations or I've, I've been assessing um, proposals and, and, and contracts via Zoom. And what it has allowed is to access people who wouldn't generally come to a presentation. So a project yeah. manager, um, you know, a tech, a tech guy in another country, they can sit in on these. And that's been really interesting to sort of access a wider breadth of people. Um, you know, it does even out the kind of puts everybody on the same playing field too, which I mean, so there, there's definitely some advantages. Uh, I, I did one this morning um, for an hour and I, I have to say, I actually enjoyed it. And that people are getting more comfortable sharing their video and interacting on these things than they were before, I think. Hmm. Well, I mean, think about the one we did. I, it feels like it was, you know, a couple of weeks last ago. Week. <laughs> Maybe it was last week. I don't know. Time is moving I fast. I thought it was fantastic. Well, right. I mean, but think about that panel. Had we assembled that yeah. panel in person, never I think would've it would have We never well, would have happened because we wouldn't have been able to get those people. But at the same time, I think it would have been a little bit more scripted. I think there would have been more concern about the questions and it wouldn't have been a conversation. And by the end of that, we had covered a lot of ground and, and, the, and it was great because the, the folks that were putting the conference on, I felt like they weren't really on board with us just talking. But by the end of it, they were like, that was fantastic. Like you guys did a really great job of like carrying a conversation um, and you don't get that. So I think we're seeing a lot more flexibility and looseness in the era of Zoom and video conferencing. I brought, it up, I brought it up for a reason. I'll get to that in a second. But reflecting on that forum, the recent forums, were there things that surprised you that come out of it, Brett, that might be interesting for, for people who are listening? Oh, I got a ton of stuff from the last one we did. But yeah, go ahead, Brett. And, and, I mean, so it's interesting because I think we try to manufacture a lot of content about what's actually going on around us. And, and people are kind of tired of hearing about what's going on around us. Um, and where you get a lot of the value is people that wouldn't normally speak at conferences, giving us kind of a play-by-play -play of what, what they're doing in their world to adapt and, you know, continue to thrive or, or, or try to get to there. And, and so for me, when I hear people that normally wouldn't talk, get on and tell their story and tell what they're doing, it's a lot more meaningful because I learn a lot more than like the traditional five or six people that always dominate the conversations. Give us a, give us a, something you, Oh, okay. Just, specific. You can't drop that without saying something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm so, so like over the past few months we've been doing, so I've been leading kind of the roadmap to recovery for IPMI, putting together a lot of the materials about, you know, how the industry is recovering from COVID and, and we're getting very much into the solution side of things now. And so we've been getting communities to step up and have conversations that aren't normally the ones that are on stage. So like, a Louisville, Kentucky is doing some really, really great things in terms of creating parking opportunities for their staff, creating parking opportunities for their customers that are more adaptive in the face of whatever's going on out there in the world. And so it's great to hear them actually stand on stage virtually and tell their story because we're not hearing it. We, we would normally heard the New Yorks and the DCs and the LAs because it's a lot sexier than what they're doing. But yeah. to hear these mid-sized cities get up and talk about what they're doing, and it's actually driving what some of these other bigger cities are, are, are starting to do as well. 
That's really interesting. You know, I, the one we did recently, and I don't want to like burn all the good stuff that came out of it because we're going to post it. But when they, when Chad started talking about how all these little pop-up restaurants that were happening in the kind of the street spaces there and how there was virtually no protection for those people, those diners that were basically sitting in what was a parking spot or right up against the curb. And there were cars passing within five feet of them while they're sitting there eating like how dangerous of a situation that actually can turn into very easily and very quickly. And if I mean, you need like a K, you know, like a Jersey wall, like a K barrier between you and traffic like that. And they've got at most wood paneling or some sort right. of like decorative garden fence. A planter or something like that. I mean, and yeah. the, the problem is, is that, you know, the Jersey barrier or, or whatever kind of barrier you might put up takes away some of the retail frontage or the restaurant frontage. And so they're trying to maximize outdoor space, but there are definitely trade-offs. I mean, I, I feel like Julie, who was also on that panel, might have told a story about, you know, some of the things she's seen where it's actually been, you know, there's been some some incidents associated with it. Um, I know she told me that a couple of weeks ago when we were together and like, it just, it, it's scary because we move so fast to try to do customer service type things that may backfire, you know, if we don't think about it too yeah. much. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, I think we talked. We have talked about it before, but uh, just seeing the all of a sudden these these large office towers that were in more suburban environments now all of a sudden starting to consider converting to residential. Mm. Yeah, it's actually becoming a thing. We're we're it, I, I'm seeing quickly. a lot more forums where people are like, "What do we do with this space?" And I've been working with some private developers that are they're in the process of building office, and um, I've done this for a long time in my career, kind of helping them understand how much parking you need, how to manage those types of things. And you know, for the last five or six years, there's been a belief that, you know, we're crowding more people into offices and, and we're getting you know, six per thousand, seven per thousand, because it's, it's such a dense office space. And it, it's amazing to me now, like some of the developers are believing not only does it get less dense and, and more of the kind of spread out space, because that's what people want, but, but it also may not be office for as long as they think it's going to be. And, and, this move to affordable housing or usable space can be very beneficial to developments and cities alike. But two things on that, which is quite interesting, you've raised both of those. The, f the first one was, there's a, a study came out this week from our labs and it says that almost 70% of full-time workers in the United States are working from home during COVID-19 and they're saving almost $500 a month in expenses from that. And this works for both sides of the equation. Leaders and managers say that 80% of their, they expect 80% of their full-time workers to work from home at least three days per week, even after COVID-19. It's interesting in, in response to what we're seeing about the utilization of office facilities and what that means generally for the parking industry. Um, the longer COVID goes on in the US, the more this sort of ingratiates and embeds itself into the culture. So it's, it's interesting you talk about that. It, 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 there's also a trend, and, and I've been seeing this both kind of anecdotally from talking with friends and family, um, as well as kind of seeing it in, in the, the press. But when, when this first started, you know, a, a month into it, everybody was on the work from home train. Like I'm enjoying wearing my sweatpants and <laughs> I'm more productive because I'm not getting the interaction <laughs> and things in the office. But you know, here we are eight months into this thing 
And we're starting to see those office workers that were so gung-ho about work from home full time now saying, I do, I want to go back into the office. Mm. Um, and so that's where it kind of gets to that hybrid model that you were just talking about, where we don't have people go in every day, but maybe they go in a couple of days a week, do the interaction stuff that they need. And then the rest of the time is spent kind of producing and working on their projects or the things they're doing. So I, we, we've definitely seen a shift. And, and I wonder if it goes on and knock on wood, but if it goes on for another eight months, um, will we see a full on revolt back to, I've got to get out of the house and, and, and go back to the office. Who knows, right? Like it, it changes so quickly. So. Yeah. Look, when my house got invaded by my, uh, my kids, you know, it was like, I got to get out of here. This can't, this doesn't work. <laughs> but the only nice thing is everyone's gotten really tolerant about, you know, kids and dogs and stuff in the background when you're on conference mm -hmm. calls. Well, think, yep. think about it in terms of our industry and parking. So a couple of things there that hot desking was a thing at the fringes. Now it's going to be more central and, and absolutely. And hot desking is really hot parking as well. The same concept coming in and out, yep. controlling people, controlling the space, using less space, but turning it over more frequently. So it's interesting there. And, and that adaptive reuse trend as well, Brett, that you've spoken about, about turning car parks into multi-use purposes, um, spaces that can be used for residential. Uh, there's Montgomery Council uh, County this week wants to turn some of their metro car parks into high-rise developments to support housing. I think that's where you were going with, with conversions of locations as well. And as we're sort of moving away from car parks being, I guess, in some instances, less utilized or utilized in different ways, those types of investments become more interesting. Do you want to talk on that a little bit more about yeah, what you I mean, in that space? So I mean, there, there's a couple of pieces to it. First, I mean, you're absolutely right. We've, we've talked for a long time in the urban planning realm about what is the highest and best use of space. Um, and unfortunately for all those in our industry, you know, a surface parking lot is not it, right? Like, so a high rise that can house people or, or, or creative office space or whatever it is that you're, you're getting out of it is much more valuable than having a surface parking lot, even if it generates revenue. Um, and, and we talked about this on previous podcasts, but like as we transform our urban centers or the communities that people are moving to because now they can work more remote from the center of where their office might be, we're going to see that transform into urban or to, to, to public space, uh, affordable housing, you know, destination type space that makes these communities thrive and draws people to them. But the other thing is, is all of this works because, you know, we don't, we don't need to have parking for every person that comes to an office building or to a, a destination because there's going to be other arrival patterns. There's going to be, they show up at different times. And so the concept of shared parking is nothing new in our industry, but I think it's going to be somewhat on steroids. Now, when you think about like, if I've got, you know, an office worker that only comes in Monday and Tuesday, and I've got another one that comes in Thursday and Friday, each of them doesn't need to have a parking permit. I don't need to pay for a monthly permit for them anymore. I am now paying for a flexible permit that perhaps they share, or perhaps it's, you know, they get X amount of days per week that they, or, or per month that they can come in. And so it changes the entire paradigm about the way we manage parking, which makes people think about the decision to drive their car. It's an automatic decision. I'm going to get in my car and drive downtown. Now it's maybe I don't have to go today, or maybe I go a different way because it's going to cost me more. And so we begin to really start spreading people out to the places they want to be, but also 
keeping them from all coming at one time, which is creating this big surplus of parking that we've had forever. Um, so don't you think that some of the cities are going to start pulling back the space on the street and that's going to end on the park, on the garages, the garages, I thank God they're there. They were having limited use, but now it really enables like, you know, you know, shoot plan to come into effect, right? Get rid of all that street parking, save it for the deliveries and the, you know, all that sort of thing. Now the city still has to figure out a way to monetize that space, but. Yeah, I mean, you don't get rid of all of it, but hundred percent, I mean, you're going to see more and more of curbside space go to highest and best use short-term pickup, drop off, you know, restaurant pickup, drop off deliveries, whatever it may be, which is going to eat away at the on-street parking that's out there. And we're going to have to move them somewhere. Right. So especially in a immediate post COVID world, there's no real, nobody really knows yet what, what it's going to look like, but there's a pretty good assumption that most people are going to choose to drive themselves from a safety perspective. Um, and it may change over time, but immediately we're going to have a pretty big surge in people coming down. And the best place to put them is parking garages. Right. So, in, we, and what do, what do you think about like the density in an office building that got converted to residential? Does it require more or less spaces? It ends up requiring less space because um, you you have a you have a smaller square footage per person in an office complex. You might be you know 250 to 400 square feet per person, whereas in a in a you know a thousand or 1500 square foot apartment, you almost double that. It's like 800 per person. And what about like okay, so before you would have this like you know big use during the day for all the office space, and then you'd flip to restaurant and event and all those things that went on at night, does it still leave enough room for that? It, it does because what ends up happening is you've got more. So it, it, if, if you, yeah, they're not leaving. If, they, if, they're, if yeah. they're in their affordable housing, their car is probably not leaving. They're walking down to the street to get their, you know, bagel or lunch or whatever it may be, or to go for a run. Um, so instead of having these big disparate demand shifts, you've just kind of got this one, steady demand stream that's occurring because there's people there and it has the ebbs and flows, but it's not going to be, you know, everybody shows up at 8 a.m. and leaves at 5 p.m. and leaves these huge gaps in, in parking uh, capacity. I saw some interesting tech the other day where out of the retail frontage, there was a camera that was monitoring the, the spaces out in front of the bay and then enforcing counting on that um, rather than the infield in camera. Uh, the, sorry, the, the sensor in the ground. I wanted to, could you just spend a moment on the consumer, is it a consumer trend that you think is driving the, the use of the curb or is it a philosophy that's changed that's now being adopted more readily? Is it, what's, the, what's the pressure there that's converting it? So, I mean, it, this was happening pre-COVID, right? right? Like in, in most of the conversations that I was having with municipal parking directors, managers, operations, there was a realization that more and more people were looking for that premium spot at the curb um, and that perhaps the highest and best use was not somebody parking their car there for four or five hours while they went into an appointment or something to that effect. Um, perhaps if we could have passenger loading or unloading, commercial goods movement, um, you know, e-goods movement, those types of things occurring at the curb, we'd be able to help commerce more with the distribution of goods, the, the delivery of goods, the you know, pickup and whatever the, the, those types of things are. And so this was already happening. And then it just got accelerated under COVID because we all, we all moved to a delivery model or a curbside pickup model. Um, and it's starting to wane a little bit as, as people are feeling more comfortable in getting back out there. But 
Um, it hasn't waned to the point that it is now less important in our industry. So there's, there's literally a huge push, both from the vendor side of things and the municipal side of things, to think about curbside management in a different way. And parking is the least important thing that's happening in that discussion. The, I think the interesting thing about um, not being able to physically go to a, a convention is to not touch and see the, the product and service and the tech in real and play with it in a way and, and learn in an aggregated space about things. So we've, we've missed sort of, I want to say in 2020, the blossoming of sort of the lift companies, smart company, uh, smart parking companies like sensors, and then the mobile service app companies with Bluetooth and that type of thing coming through um, and other technologies around that. But that's sort of the, the touch and feel that sort of does predominate a lot of those event spaces. I wonder about the attrition and how much has there been that we don't even know about. Right. Well, and there's, there's attrition. And then on the other side of that, the positive side, there, there's been some really good adaptation, you know, people yeah. realizing what they're going to have to do, but they don't have these venues to, to get the word out. I mean, you, you see it more on, you know, social media. Now people are trying to really sell yeah. their product and it, it's not the venue for selling <laughs> hardware or software. Um, but I mean, it, that, that, that has been a struggle because you want to see what all of these, you know, vendors and, and the technical side of our, our, our industry is doing and we're just not seeing it. Connected infrastructure. I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a few movements, a few buzzwords around there that we probably would be talking about more or would have broken through more if a, a critical mass had have understood them through these forums. Yeah. Um, I've got one to share. I want to put this on. I thought this was interesting. Um, um, and Tesla just this week also released their self-driving vehicle um, update, an update to their vehicle, which which sort of really embeds level three um, automation of the vehicle. Um, and that was, I felt, interesting enough to be raised. They're looking at um, moving ahead with a full rollout of, of automation of the vehicles where you obviously you're level four, almost hands off, but you're, you're, um, you're watching the vehicle. So level three, it'll still ask you when you come to a T intersection, what you want to do, um, whether you want to proceed or if it's safe to proceed, it doesn't feel it, but they felt that this was a significant step change in, in what they're doing uh, and what they've been able to achieve there. And, and Telstra, wow. again, are doing it completely differently than the rest of the market who's re relying on radar. Um, Tesla is working on and doing their own camera solution uh, and using this, this, the smart software behind it to help identify things. And, and that's, that's really interesting how that's breaking away. But I, this is, this is, this will be big next year, I, I feel. Um, yeah, I no doubt. And their share price obviously balloons off the back of it any time they do an incremental update to it. So I can see that just quietly over over the next six, 12 months, re release incremental updates and it, it's making a huge difference. Am I, am I reading that right at the bottom that Waymo conducted yeah. 1.45 million, Tesla drove 12? There's, am I missing a million in there or is that? Must have been, must be. Yeah. Because 12 miles is not, I mean, that, that's definitely not ready. <laughs> no, no. Well, Tesla's vehicles use, they, they have a ghost mode in the background. And so they're always working and always learning, regardless of whether it's engaged as a sort of a quasi-autopilot function or not. Yeah. So um, every one of their vehicles is collecting information. 
I thought that was interesting that and that switch towards um, robo taxis and we've had a, la a good laugh about that historically but there are companies who are seriously investing in that technology for well, and it, it, five, it's getting five, closer it, it's, it's definitely getting closer and closer I mean and they're going to push the envelopes these companies um, whether it's these two or you know the ubers whatnot they're going to continue pushing the envelope to get it out there I mean, they, ha they have to right I mean it just has to come it will be there before you know it when is it going to be at scale? That's the really, right. when's it going to be at scale? I think is the big thing. And has it come to uh, the Tesla model now? Has it come to me mode where you can you're in the car park? You can it can go and park itself and then come back to you. Uh, a friend of mine was showing me that the other day. It's pretty wild. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think if I was in valet specifically, I think I'd be the most concerned. Yeah, that seems to be one of the. The first ones to, yeah the first ones yeah. get really disrupted i would think but the, the vehicles have to be at scale at that point this one i thought was interesting we spoke about i spoke about drone brett you and i did with um with wgi the other day and drones and using them for space management and sensing of free spaces i thought that was interesting i don't know how far away but again there's there's 10 companies there looking at how they can use drones to do parking guidance and, and manage occupancy. It's an interesting concept. I actually did one of these for a study um, at, at the University of Alabama. Last year, we, we hired a drone operator to fly the campus and then we hired um, an AI company basically that specialized in, in processing the images to give us occupancy, dwell time, those types of things. Um, what I found fascinating was the AI company, I mean, they were spot on. They did a great job. It was an amazingly quick turnaround to get the data. The limitation for me was the actual, was the actual drone operation. There were so many legal hurdles to get the drone operator out there and then to be able to cover the entirety of campus in a meaningful way, that, that held back the, the efficiency of the analysis. But the AI was there. It was spot on. It's amazing when you get some good AI behind, behind some video and what it can actually do and what they can do with it. I mean, I, it's whether they can pack all that technology into uh, and get it done quickly. That's what I've found the biggest trend. It's like, how long does it actually take, you know, to process the images and give you the data set that you want? Because when it's, but for what you're talking about, I would think you have more time. Mm -hmm. It's a great application for a parking study on a, a university campus. I don't know how you migrate it to real time though, because I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's, there's a desire for it to be something that provides real time information for the actual ongoing management of things. And um, that might be a bit more challenging. Latency. You know, what, what if you could do though, if you were trying to sell parking guidance systems and you could hire a company or you were thinking about buying a parking guidance something and you could hire a company that could come in and do like a multi-day study on your facility and just see how, underutilized overutilized the system was just with a simple some drone tracking of the facility for a week you might you might be able to prove your case really quickly that's right yeah yeah i think i think that works again depends on the the latency and how how sophisticated it can be i think it works it's it's a great use case for it do you know sort of what spectrum of of cost that was to do well, so uh, again, the actual AI company that processed the data, 
um, was cheaper than any traditional method that I could use to go out mm. and collect data, whether that was, you know, putting down loops or having somebody go out and count it or using LPR or those types of things. I mean, they were, they were extremely cost efficient. The cost of sending out the drone operator um, and his team was cost prohibitive because I had people out there, you know, billing at a really? couple hundred dollars an hour yeah. flying drones. And, uh, you know, my, 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 my take for the AI company was you need to, you need to get some pilots because if you can do this <laughs> yourself and, and keep the cost down, you can take over the world. But um, just like anything, right? Like any, yeah. any technology we see in our, in our industry, it's going to be cost prohibitive first until we can figure out how to make it more efficient. And then it becomes a tool that we can use, um, once those costs are driven down. Well, they're probably using, like you said, they're, these are probably, you know, FAA, you know, pilots for the drones. They're using mm -hmm. commercial equipment where mm -hmm. they could probably very easily do it with like a, you know, simple camera platform, a GoPro on a, you know, on some sort of a small camera platform drone. You could probably achieve the same thing, but you don't need to get the Hollywood guys out with their big fancy equipment for it. It all, it all depends on how, uh, how sensitive your client is to doing things by the book, right? So, <laughs> well, I mean, you can get the FAA, FAA license and stuff to do it, but yeah, yeah, whether you need the commercial company coming out or not, it's one thing. That's so, right. I think that's an interesting space. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll, it'll, it'll blossom in 2021, drones and, and around that, or at least more thinking about and more discussion about that. Um, as a service has been a thing this year that we haven't really spoken a lot about or industry hasn't really spoken a lot about um but it has become more and more of a way to consume technology in in this space and um, and the other one is mobility hubs and scooters and, and that dynamic so that again i think if we all had gone to conferences there would have been lester's drone and guys driving around on scooters um and everyone talking about has a service technologies, um, which would have been interesting. I'm, I'm also seeing convergence of technologies as well between on street and off street in a way that I probably haven't historically. And that's, um, that's an interesting space as well. But I think moving into 2021, when we get back to these events, you'll start to see more blended relationships there. Um, Brett, anything else this week for the, for the hot sauce? No, I mean that, that. This has been this has been fascinating, and some things that have been on my mind. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and uh, um, I'm eager to see what the rest of the year brings. There's a few more kind of events and things like that that we'll we'll see how they shake out, and hopefully we all get comfortable and can start learning from one another in a little more deeply way. So yeah, yeah, cool. Let's do. What do you, What do you guys think about the parking operators? The you know parking aggregators, all those companies. Like they're all starting to talk about their own products like they're just grabbing this commercial off the shelf stuff that's very simple and they're starting to do lots of wraparound solutions on top of existing equipment that sort of thing i've seen a lot of that lately there's a lot of buzz about it there's Absolutely. Uh, yeah i mean with alexa the alexa fund investing in parkwiz or now arrive that sort of thing it's all very interesting it's absolutely yeah. the way it's going a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, how well they can compete with some of the best in class stuff, you know, because I've, I've had yeah. several clients that have said, I'd rather have best in class disparate, you know, vendors than have, you know, one vendor that can do everything marginally well. So, yeah. you know, the off the shelf has to work as well as the best in class stuff if they're going to, if they're going to take over the world. 
I mean, you're dealing with a lot of big facilities, you know, a lot of revenue at stake, but these, you know, these little one in one outs down the street, I mean, they have, which are majority monthly parking. They're only trying to handle, you know, a small amount of uh, transient revenue during the day. And then they're trying to focus on, you know, nighttime transient revenue, like the office buildings and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's pressure there. Industry's no. getting pushed pretty hard, I think, to, to bring the cost down. I want to say it started, it started with the trend towards frictionless, Lester, and then into touchless. And then as you move away yeah. from those, what does that mean? Well, we want to get away from tickets and we want to get away from cash. And we're seeing that more here because we're, we're certainly far more adopted to the credit card here than a lot in the US. We don't have a, a dollar bill, so we don't carry cash um, in, the, in, the, in the way that you potentially do there. So we're seeing that a lot more and it's a lot easier here to do that. So um, there's certainly a, a set of about four or five in Australia that are now blossoming up and you're seeing them taking that small office, multi mixed use location and making it work with sort of either the existing equipment layering over the top or, or um, you know, taking it out completely. I agree. Cool. Cool. Well, I thought that was valuable. That was, that was good. That was a good little, little wrap. Yeah, um, no doubt. I like the hot sauce. The hot yeah, sauce. The hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Parker X podcast. We sincerely appreciate it and hope you are enjoying our content. Please remember to rate, review, comment, subscribe, and share. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The following has been a production of Parker X.